Hello again, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the Hokies Press Pass Podcast. Alongside Andy Bitter, the Virginia Tech football beat writer for the Roanoke Times, this is Aaron McFarling, sports columnist for the Roanoke Times. Woo, what a week. Andy, what a week. Aaron just finished dancing from the news (laughs) on, what was it, Monday or Tuesday? It was Monday. Monday. Finished his his long two-day dance of celebration uh, for gambling becoming legal in the United States. Sports gambling. Uh, well, there's no ban on it, I guess. It doesn't make it legal necessarily, but it opens it up to the states, and you are extremely happy about this. Yes, yes. We're going to talk about that, and we're also going to talk a little bit about the Hokies, too, as we always do. Uh, the Devin Ford decision is on the horizon, and Tech fans might not be happy about where that uh, lands. Uh, we're also going to talk about Brandon Flowers getting his degree, D'Angelo Hall retiring as one of the you know best-performing NFL players in, in Virginia Tech history. Um, and maybe a draft. We'll see. Uh, I want to say, Andy, I, I listened to uh, Dwight Vick on your on your last most recent podcast. And if if you haven't, if you're a listener out there and you haven't listened to it yet, I highly encourage that. Dwight is is excellent. He's very polished, and I think um, I think you should keep him on retainer for for future. He's casts. really good, and yeah. he's got stories. He's got opinions. He's got stories, and he he's been on radio a lot, yeah. so he knows how to like do it. That's why I wanted him to be one of the guys that I sort of first branched out with doing other interviews with because he's just he he gets it. Uh, so I I didn't know I'm sure he didn't tell all of his stories on that, and, and honestly he gives such a great perspective of the program that he'd be a good one to revisit. Well, having listened to it, and I know you didn't really get it. You know, you were asking him his opinions on things, but I'm curious of your opinion about what he said about the alumni relations um, and and where that is. Uh, you know, he he was very. Uh, careful to, to try not to call out anybody specifically, but he did say there are some things, and this is something he's tweeted in the past as well, that he, he would like to see changed. Uh, anything there really stick out to you about what he said that sounds like you know something that would be easier to implement that they're just not doing? Well, I mean, it sounds like it's just sort of listening to the conversation uh, of what those guys are asking about. And it's, not, it's not like they want free stuff. It's not like, like oh, give us tickets at the 50-yard line and drive us to the game in Cadillacs and all this stuff. Like, no, they just kind of want, like, they want to be able to pay into something that allows them to set up, like, a tent before the games that they can go to or, you know, maybe just a little more welcoming from Virginia Tech. He, he said uh, a bunch of guys haven't even seen the indoor facility. Yeah. I mean, that's been around three-plus years now. Uh, it, it seems like a pretty minor thing to be asking for is to, to maybe be welcomed back with a little more open arms than what Virginia Tech has. And from the sounds of it, they've been receptive to it. Uh, I'm talking to Whit Babcock this week. That's something I'll ask him about. I know they had Kevin Jones in that role earlier, but you know Kevin hasn't been there for over a year at, at least now, so it, it's kind of a, a vacant thing or something they need to work on. But I, I don't think it's some sort of irreparable damage or anything like that. Or it just you know they could Virginia Tech could maybe just listen to their opinion a little bit more, and, and I think that would satisfy everybody. Well, I think it's interesting you you mentioned this too on the on the when you talked about Kevin Jones and how he was sort of in charge of that and how he was a star player. He was. He was one of those guys who gets welcomed back all the time uh, and is on the sidelines and and things like that. You know, guys like D'Angelo Halls and and Brandon Flowers, who we'll talk about later, too. Um, I think you really need a person in there who's sort of an average Joe. Like, I – I, you know, I, I played baseball at Maryland many years ago, and I still get invited every year to, to football games and uh, uh, 
golf outings and, and things that I, I don't really take advantage of, but it's there and it's because there's somebody in charge of it who's very proactive and is reaching out to scrubs and stars alike. I was a scrub. Um, so, I mean, I think if you find the right person to fill that role, I think a lot of this stuff could 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 work out for them. But I don't think it can be a, pl- a person like Kevin Jones. I, mean, uh, I think that makes it more difficult. Yeah, I think that was part of his thing. Is he sort of did these tours of NFL camps and stuff like that. It's like, oh, he's going to say hi to Kyle Fuller. It's like, well, yeah, everybody says hi to Kyle Fuller. Uh, and you know, the, the response I hear from a lot of Virginia Tech fans whenever alumni start you know talking about the problem with relations and stuff like that, it's like, oh, well, you you should donate, and then maybe they'll listen to what you have to say, and that kind of runs counter to everything that Whit Babcock has always said about uh, relationships and donors is your first, you know, your first bit of contact with somebody can't be write me a check. You know, that's a relationship you foster over time and then donations come from that. So, uh, I think a lot of these players look at their times like, man, I, you know, blood, sweat and tears for this program. Like I've invested a lot already. (laughs) And not the first thing that people say when they, when they complain a little bit about, you know, not getting the respect or, you know, got not getting their due is, oh, you should donate more money. It's like, they feel like they have sort of donated something to the program in the past. And it's not necessarily monetary, monetary, but it's, it's, you know, uh, you know, the production they had on the field and the hard work they put into getting this program to where it is now. Uh, so yeah, like I said, I think it's something that you can be easily ironed out. I, I just enjoy talking to Dwight because, uh, you know, you hear it, you see it on Twitter and people take it out of context. Then it becomes a back and forth on Twitter. You talk to somebody for an hour, like I did. And I think it was like 15 minutes. We talked about alumni relations. You hear the very salient points that he's making about this. It's not like they're not asking for the moon. Uh, you know, just a, a little bit better uh, communication. I think from the athletic department would be nice. Uh, you when you hear it in that context, it's a much more reasonable thing. Well, Norman Lindenberg told me once uh, the the legendary high school coach at Radford. He said his parents told him that you should be able to walk with the kings and the peasants and everyone in between uh, throughout your life. And I think that's sort of what Vic can do. I mean, he's a cousin of Michael and Marcus. Right. I mean, he he's seen superstardom up close. Um, he's also seen you know Mark Marcus's troubles. Um, but he's also been an offensive lineman where you're, you know, that's a pretty uh, anonymous position and you, and you get to know other people besides just the skill players when you do that. So uh, yeah. And you've got a meeting set up with wit soon, right? This is a tomorrow. This week? tomorrow. Tomorrow. Okay. So great. Well, maybe we can come back next week and, and talk about some of the things that you talk about with him. I'm sure it'll be a wide ranging interview, but I'm sure you'll touch on some of those um, alumni relations things too. And maybe some gambling too. Yeah, I'm. I'm guessing I'm going to know what Witt's response is, <laughs> and it's probably going to be the statement he put out. I, I know Mike Barber did a story when gambling, the, the verdict came out on Monday, uh, and it was he deferred to John Swafford's. I mean, this is like a third rail topic in college sports with gambling, and you know, don't bet on it. They've been so anti-gambling on anything that. I'd be surprised if he said anything. I'd be surprised if he kind of went out there and made some sort of bold statement about it. Uh, that's just generally not his style. He'll defer to the league's higher-ups, but, you know, doesn't hurt to ask. No no administrators are saying much of anything. No, uh, no. Including Swafford, who, whose statement basically said, well, we're going to look at it. We'll see. <laughs> <laughs> but if, It's a longer version of we'll see. I think if, if I was going to, you know, try to articulate what was the most exciting thing about Monday for me was just sort of the removal of the stigma, the legitimization of something that's 
near and dear to me and has been for a long time. I mean, every time I do a bull guide and I'll get, you know, four or five people emailing me saying, why are, why are the, what's that plus seven or what's that minus seven mean? You know, so eventually we had to put in like a little explanation for people because I, you know, I kind of assumed everybody understood what spreads are, but, but a lot of people don't. Um, and I think it's been a shame that uh, people like me are frowned upon uh, for something that I, I find to be a very innocent entertainment. Scoff laws. <laughs> Scoff Isn't that the word you use in your column? <laughs> I like that. a great word. Scoff law. Yeah. But, um, you know, I think it was, a, it was, it was sort of a validation for something. And, I, and I, I said this on the radio yesterday locally, but I don't smoke marijuana, but I, you know, I'm, I'm guessing people who do, that's how they felt when, when, the, the laws started, you know, loosening up on marijuana usage. It's like, I'm not hurting anybody. What's the big deal here? You know, and, and that's a whole different discussion. But in, in gambling terms, it's like legislating morality has always been a major issue for me. I've never really uh, appreciated that. I, was, I grew up Southern Baptist. There are very strict uh, laws and rules in that church. Um, but I don't want them in my, you know, I don't want them making the laws of the land. They don't you know, I don't think they have any more right to do that than than somebody who who doesn't go to church every Sunday. Well, it's always interesting is is like a lot of the things, the arguments I've seen against it lately. People always argue to the worst case scenario, yes. and we don't go, oh, well, alcohol is legal, but look at the, the the terrible drunks everywhere. Like you know, that's not the argument against alcohol being legal. I I, I just. I don't think we need to legislate stuff to the very worst of what could happen in certain situations. Like, quite honestly, if you have a gambling problem, there are ways to gamble right now. It's not like the widespread availability of this, oh, now I'm going to have a gambling problem. I think you would have found a way to do it before if you had that issue going in. Um, yeah, I, I don't see a problem with it. Uh, it'll be interesting to see how many states... Uh, what New Jersey's on board? They, they were leading the charge on this whole By thing. The end They're of this on month, board, perhaps. Yeah. Uh, it looks like what Pennsylvania, New York, uh, West Virginia. West Virginia. The, is, the California has something. Surprisingly, uh, Indiana's already kind of made some moves on this. What is your uh, thoughts on what the outlook is in Virginia? Not good. Uh, I, I'm not holding my breath. Uh, I, I really think that uh, we're we're one of the least progressive states in the in the country when it comes to. Uh, this this issue, uh, not just sports gambling, but casino gambling, and uh, I, I've seen casino, and I used a Game of Thrones reference for the first time. I saw that. People were like, "Wow, <laughs> that came out of the blue." It was a little bit forced, but uh, Aaron's like, I, wanted, "I just saw the red wedding. I want to put it in there. Come on." I wanted to prove that I've seen it. No, but I, I think it, it's pretty obvious when you see. West Virginia, and when you see Maryland, Maryland was a state that I never thought would would come around, and they did. I mean, I grew up in Maryland, and, and they came around. Um, Pennsylvania came around. All these states nearby um, came around on on casino gambling, and Virginia never did. Virginia introduced this ridiculous instant racing thing, which I've done. You more. just explained that to me. It's so stupid. I've done more research on it. Here's what it is: it's a machine. And it has, like, handicapping uh, statistics for, like, the jockeys and trainers, but the names of the jockeys and trainers are shrouded, so you can't see them. And then you pick a horse based on these handicapping figures, and then you watch this race that was run, you know, two or three years ago. And, you, like, it could be it could have taken place in, like, Dubai or something yeah, like that? Yeah, I mean, uh, my assumption is it's, you know, any probably anywhere inside the continental U.S., but... 
um, you know, like you know, Hollywood Park or, or Del Mar or someplace like that. And and why would you do that? Like that show to, to me that shows a, a real lack of understanding of what gamblers want <laughs> out of the legislation. Um, and they, I think they think, well, if you're at a horse track, you're 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 super high on horse racing, so you're going to do that. Why would you do that if you're at a horse track? It, you know, it's it, they're doing it to try to revive Colonial Downs, essentially. Yeah, and the that's stupid. That's ridiculous. <laughs> if you have actual horses to bet on that are running, why would you bet on something that's already happened? I, you you mentioned like uh, it, this, this game of craps was played Sunday night <laughs> in Mississippi in Biloxi, and you can bet using the odds that were there. And these are the actual rules that took place, but you can watch a simulation of that after the fact. Does he hit the point? <laughs> what is the point? That's so stupid. Yeah. I, I don't get it. I don't. Do people enjoy this? Is it like, oh, I got to get my fix on this? I just cannot see that being enjoyable. No, I can't either. And it's it, it just there. I think there are two types of people. In the world, there are people who who uh, understand what gamblers like about gambling, and then there are people who just don't. And I think politicians, is particularly within our Commonwealth, fall in the latter category. They just don't get it, and um, and so I, I think that's going to be a problem for my dream of having you know a, a brick and mortar sports book open up in Roanoke or some uh, adjacent place like Blacksburg or, or Salem. Uh, I just I, I think it's. A, I think if they do do it, they'll do it very, very far down the road and not before loads and loads of tax money have gone across the border to West Virginia. Well, that's it. Is is there's a lot of money that can be made out of this and in this trying time of state budgets and uh, you know where you know money is short. It seems in everything, uh, especially in terms of education. You just look at West Virginia. Uh, why would you turn down a revenue source like this? I, I just I don't quite understand that. What do you think this will mean for sports leagues? I mean, I know the NBA is already, you know, kind of ahead of the curve on everything, saying that it wants a cut of this. Uh, Adam Silver has been very proactive about trying to get ahead of this and saying, you know, gambling is not this immoral thing. Like you should just embrace it. Whereas the NFL, you know. You know, hears no evil, sees no. You know, it's, it's so the, the three monkeys covering their eyes, mouth, and ears. Uh, I mean, it's just so ridiculous to be like, "Oh, gambling is still wrong." It's like, listen, NFL, gambling is the only reason you're where you're at now. Yeah. Okay, it's one. Of the <laughs> I reasons, mean, it yes. is. It is one of the biggest things. And you know, fantasy football is essentially gambling like that. The point spread is obviously a huge thing. Like, why do you think the Super Bowl is such a big deal with all these prop bets and everything that goes on? I mean, gambling is a driving force behind the NFL's popularity, and they still sit here like, no, people love the thrill of competition, the fact that we're out here killing each other on the field. Like, that's the big thing that people care about. Here's my guess on that. I think Adam Silver is not going to get a dime. I don't think his league's going to get a dime. I don't think Major League Baseball is going to get a dime. I I really don't think so because those leagues – if you look at some place like Great Britain – where, you know, gambling is everywhere. Golf, people gamble on the British Open like crazy. They gamble on uh, English Premier League soccer like crazy. There are ways teams can make money off of that, sponsorships and other other ways of, of, of bringing in revenue, but it's not it's not the sports books paying them money. I mean, the, the sports books, if they're smart, will just say, you're going to run this league anyway. If you don't want to run it, you know, call our bluff if we're not paying you anything and, and shut down your league. 
and see what happens. You're going to have no money then because you will have no league. What kind of leverage would the league have in this situation? They, could could they help push across these you know, state laws that are, you know, maybe legislatures are on, on the fence about it? I mean, could, could they get them over the finish line to make this a thing that is actually legal in these That's states? It's possible, I guess. I mean, I'm not a legal analyst in that respect, but I mean, it would have to be some sort of give and take like that if they were going to get any money. Otherwise, I don't see I don't see it happen. What's more, what's more interesting to me is how much of a cut tax wise are each of these states going to want to take? Uh, when when West Virginia was putting through its legislation, uh, Jim Justice, the governor there, wanted a ten percent uh, tax on on the revenues, and that's if you look at the grand scope, that's pretty low compared to what some other other legislation, state legislatures really? are asking for, like 25%. And so, so you may see, my brother joked with me, he, says, he lives in Maryland, and he's like, I can't wait to go to Laurel Park, which is a, a racetrack up there, and, and bet on the Ravens plus three minus 130, which is, you know, anybody who understands gambling understands that that's terrible odds. Like, you know, you get a you got to put 130 up to win 100, and you still got to cover the three. Is that the VIG? Is that what they call that? Well, yeah, the VIG is the 10. Usually it's 110 on each side. Okay. Um, so if if you do see if you do see the leagues getting a cut, I think you will see crappier odds, and that's not something that gamblers are going are gonna to really like. But, look, sports gambling has been going on in Vegas for decades. I mean, it's not it's not that it's never been done and it, you know, they've not been able to take it. Leagues have not been able to take any money from Las Vegas um, for for betting for offering bets on their games. It just doesn't happen. Um, think of all the other things you can bet on too. I mean, things like uh, presidential elections and things like I mean, does does uh, Donald Trump get a cut uh, because he was a you know, people placed wagers on Donald. I, I, I'll, I'll be honest, we don't know. It, it, it could be something. <laughs> Stick to sports, man, Mac and well, Andy. You know, Come on. You know what I'm saying? It's like I, I, I think he's. I think Adam Silver is is smart for getting on the right side of, of gambling and saying, hey, like we want we want to be a part of this and and, and hey, we want to, our cash registers to ring a little bit. But but just because somebody says that, I don't see that happening. I this is this will be my bold prediction for the week. I don't I don't see the leagues getting anything. Just like the Yankees are going to miss the playoffs. Is that your, your bold prediction? <laughs> That's going to be my most retweeted tweet of all time. My thought on the – like just big picture of this whole thing. And people are like, oh, everybody's going to gamble on this. And then I saw the question posed the other, other day when this happened is, you know, somebody asked, is like, okay, the regular sports bettors will continue to do this now that it's legal. It's just easier for them. They won't have to go through the, you know, the the farce that is having to go online to bet in some offshore place and then wonder whether, if you win, whether you're going to get your money. Uh, will the non-gambler, like, be brought into the fold of this? I am not a sports gambler. I'm right. not much of a casino gambler. I go with you sometimes and... I haven't really done that since my daughter's been warm just because I don't have the discretionary funds sitting around for a, you know, a casino trip uh, in Pittsburgh. Of course, if you win, that'd be a good thing. But, uh, yeah, I've just never been big into sports gambling. I, I look at the lines and stuff, and I'll give my opinion on it, but I just – it's such a small margin of error between – being a success and not like what 55 percent is like really it's good like 52 and a half would get you even yeah right i mean you have to <laughs> that is small and they're pretty good at setting those lines i mean it it's often comes down to some fluke how often do you see the end of a game it's like oh somebody made a meaningless three and it shifted two million dollars in the in the betting line and everything like that uh i just 
every time I, I feel like I've got a handle on it, I'm like, oh man, this is definitely going to be the outcome. The exact opposite outcome happens in like a very completely dominant way in the other way. And I'm like, well, that's why I don't bet on sports is because weird stuff happens. I, I just, I feel like there's really no edge there that you, that you can find. It's like, they, I mean, they said very good lines. Everybody knows a lot about all these sports. I mean, there's a reason why you bet on Hungarian 16 and under soccer is nobody <laughs> knows. I mean, it's not like this is poured over by experts and everybody has thought it out and the line pretty much gets to where it should be. Yeah, no, to, to answer your original question, which I think was, uh, you know, do you think casual people are going to get really roped into this because it's legal now? I don't really think so. I mean, you, I might try it, yeah, but I, I don't I think, think it's going to be like, be oh, it's my weekly Saturday sports Saturday night, bet. maybe they go out and play a little bit. But you know how many people I've been around on the beat. You know, there's a casino nearby, or like maybe I'm covering a Virginia Bowl or something, and I'm, I'm like asking around, anybody want to go to the casino tonight? No, no, I don't gamble. I don't gamble. I don't, and I think that's going to be it's going to be the same way with with sports gambling. I mean, there's there's just people that are, have no interest in it at all. Well, listen, I don't play the lottery, but right, when I the jackpot either. gets up to like seven hundred million, I'm like, all right, I'll throw a dollar in there. Got to be in it to win it, you know. Well, and, <laughs> I know I'm not going to win it, but it allows me to dream for an afternoon. That's a great point because when the OTBs were open, you know, off track betting places uh, run by Colonial Downs, when they had one in Vinton, the only time there were people in there was during the Triple Crown races. Then I could see that as a as, you know a scenario where somebody goes in and buys a bunch of tickets for the Super Bowl, you know if there's a brick and mortar place they can go and do that legally, um, who doesn't gamble on you know the Orioles versus the Phillies on a, a twelve thirty in the afternoon? This is a non-specific example <laughs> that you're giving here. <laughs> I like the Orioles plus one ten there, guys. Uh, but yeah, I, I think, and that's the thing with the naysayers. I think. There's two problems I have with the naysayers. One is they think everyone's going to get roped into this, and I don't think I think people are either predisposed to doing it or they're not. Uh, and most of the ones that are predisposed to doing it are already doing it in some fashion or another. The other one is the whole idea of people just getting completely hooked on it and having their kneecaps busted by people. I mean, the reason people re- the people I've seen really get in trouble with gambling, really get in trouble, and I've seen it, uh, are people who have bookies. And people who get credit lent to them by bookies. Okay, I'll collect at the end of the week. That's what they say. I'll collect at the end of the week. And then they lose on Monday. And then they double it on Tuesday. And they lose again on Wednesday. And then all of a sudden they don't have the money to pay the bookie at the end of the week. That doesn't happen. I mean, casinos do uh, extend credit. But it's based on, you know, you you have to apply for that. Like you have to have, you know, you just show that you have a, a steady job and you have to show, you know, what your, what your savings account has in it or whatever. I mean, you, you can't just say, Hey, trust me, I'll pay you back. You know, there's, there's a, it's like almost getting a loan from a bank. Whereas bookies, it's the wild, wild West, man. Uh, I don't think the kneecap breaking happens as often as people think, but I think people get a lot of trouble when they deal with bookies on credit. Yeah. I, I think that's right. The other one last point I want to make on the gambling is people always say, well, it, it's going to happen. This is going to cause somebody to throw a game or something like yeah. that. Point shaving, uh, things like that. And my response to that is always 
the more gambling you have on that, the more safeguards you have that see any irregularities with the point spread, which is when this kind of stuff happens. As with somebody puts a big amount on it, and all of a sudden it's like, wait, that's kind of weird. That stuff gets red flagged when it's all out there. I mean, when when Vegas sees something like that, they're just like, all right, that game's off, and they're going to look into that particular thing. I think there's a reason you haven't seen many uh, huge point-shaving scandals since, like, betting has become more popular and a little more mainstream is because they detect that kind of stuff, right? Yeah. yeah. I mean, gambling, again, going back to Great Britain, I mean, look how big gambling is in Great Britain. You never hear of English Premier League matches getting fixed. It just doesn't happen. Um, and maybe it happens uh, and you don't know it, but it just, there's never the obvious, well, that's, that's fixed. And I think, I think you're right. I think coming into the sunlight is only going to make more regulation and make it harder for people if they want to try to fix matches to fix matches. One problem I can see is where, you know, 10% of the stadium at a foot, at an NFL game has money on one side, you know, and, and they're ailed up and uh, something happens and they lose. I mean, I could see people, because you know how people get when their teams lose anyway. I mean, we get emails and texts and everything from people when when the Hokies lose just because they're mad that the Hokies lost. Well, imagine if you also lost $1,000, you know, and and it happened because Coach Fuente made a dumb decision or something like that. You know, like th- those are scenarios I could see possible problems. But, again, that's the worst segment of the, of, of the world you're talking about, people that would – would react that way. That would take a pretty extraordinary circumstance, I think. To, yeah, I mean, I'm not that. saying that uh, someone's going to put a hit out on a coach or something. That's not that's not my point. But just, just a joke about that. It's going to happen now, and it's going to be a no, blood I, on I your hands. You, you may deal with a you know like that famous uh, uh, Sanchez butt fumble game when he's walking through the tunnel and uh, they're all yelling at him, and it's uh, it sounds like. Uh, I think Levitard said it sounds like the gates of hell. <laughs> all yeah. those Jets fans screaming at uh, Sanchez and the rest of the team. Now throw in the monetary aspect of that as well, and maybe you have even To more. be fair, a lot of those people might have had money on that to begin with. That's Again, true. it's not like this is that's created true. out of nothing. This already existed, right. and they're making it legal in a sense, and that's why I think it's a positive thing. Okay, well, I've filibustered enough on gambling. I'm going to let you talk now. I'm sorry. I, I've, I've really monopolized all the conversation here. But we have over-unders. Well, let's dovetail off our gambling discussion. There's some more gambling. <laughs> we have over-unders on the uh, ACC win totals now. I think these were updated recently. Updated uh, on Syracuse.com is where we're, we're looking at them. Well, was the, um, what was the site that was? It was... Uh... Bet DSI, I think, put these out recently. All right, Bet DSI. They got the Hokies at eight and a half for the over/under of regular season wins. Does not include bowls or ACC title game. What do you think about that line? That's about where I'd put it. Yeah. I mean, I think I have them pegged probably around eight and four next year. Yeah. But I think there's an argument to be made, given how manageable the schedule is, that nine and three wouldn't be out of the, the realm of possibility. Uh, you know, I think a lot of Hokies fans have even higher hopes than that. Uh, I think it might be tough this year, just given the, the personnel losses on defense and still kind of how uh, kind of building up that offense that they're doing. So I, I think eight and a half is a good number on that. It's not one that I would bet on <laughs> because I don't have a strong opinion out of it one way or another. What do you think? Yeah, I think eight sounds right, but they, they prefer to do eight and a half so they don't have to refund anything if they can help it. Um so, yeah, I would probably take the under just because I th- I'm with you. I think eight is about right. 
Um, and if they had any kind of missteps beyond that, uh, you could you, it could be very difficult to get to nine wins in a hurry. Like you know, if you lose your opener to Florida State, which they are uh, underdogs in that game, uh, you you got a real uphill climb to nine wins. Let's put it that way. Yeah, and the, yeah, you put the three games, three toughest games that they got on there: Florida State, Miami, Notre Dame. At least based on where some of these preseason rankings are. Um, Okay, you have to win the rest of them essentially. Yeah. And you got Georgia Tech at home. Haven't beaten Georgia Tech in two years. Uh, that could be a, a tricky game. Pittsburgh on the road. That could be tougher. Boston College at home. Boston College is not a bad team. They have a lot returning. AJ Dillon really hit it big at the end of last year. In fact, looking at the rest of these lines, I'll just run through them real quick. Clemson ten and a half. Miami nine and a half. Florida State eight and a half, Louisville eight, NC State seven, Wake Forest six and a half, Georgia Tech six, Boston College six, Duke six, North Carolina six, Pittsburgh five and a half, Virginia five, and Syracuse four and a half. Which of those do you like? You know what? Either way, that indicates a lot of parity to me. I mean, that's a lot of a lot of teams right there in the middle, around the six. And yeah, it's, seven it's Clemson, and then like yeah. Miami, and then Florida State, Virginia Tech, right right around there, and then it's kind of drops off quite a bit. Yeah, I think I'd like the Miami under, probably nine and a half. Nine and a half's a big yeah, number. Yeah, I always think you know because you know an injury here or injury there, and all of a sudden you're feeling really good about your under bet on something like that. Now. Uh, Clemson, you know, they're, I think they're they're good enough. They've proven that they're good enough year after year, and they recruit so well, and that defensive line's all coming back. They're so good. I mean, I, I would probably, if I was going to take the Clemson line either way, I'd probably go over. I'd go over, too. Yeah. I mean, they always have one game where they slip up somewhere yeah. where they should. It's like they lose to NC State or you know, Pittsburgh or something like that. But uh, I would like their chances to go over 10 and a half. Yeah, the one I like on there is Boston College at 6. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, they have a, a pretty manageable non-conference schedule. Uh, I think they play like Holy Cross and, and some other sort of Patsy and uh, Temple is another one they play, and Temple wasn't very good last year. I mean, that's three wins in the non-conference. To get to, to six, just to push your bet, to go three and five in the ACC, a team that was sort of on the rise last year, uh, I like that one. Uh, Georgia Tech at six seems low to me. Yeah, I mean, it seems like it's like every other year with Georgia Tech, they're they're really bad, then really good, really they're they're bad when you expect them to be good, and good when you expect them to be bad, and they're coming off a five and six year. Uh, you know, they have the the quarterback back. That's a big thing. Uh, I think they have a decent amount of returning players. I think they could definitely be a factor in the coastal, and I, I would I would bet on them making a bowl game. I mean, Paul Johnson doesn't miss bowl games very often. Uh, last year they, they lost a game because of the hurricane. Granted, that game was against UCF, so I don't know if they necessarily would have won that and made a bowl game, but typically they make it to a bowl game, and to make it to a bowl game you just need six wins. So I, I think I would I would like Georgia Tech in that scenario. Uh, another one I kind of like is Pittsburgh at five and a half. I don't, you know, that was a team late last year that gave the Hokies fits uh, once they found a quarterback, uh, beat Miami, in that regular season finale. And uh, I think they lost a lot of guys from before last season. I know they lost a lot coming out of this year too, but I think they found a quarterback. I would like them to be back in the bowl mix this year and and getting above five and a half wins, I think is a good possibility. Here's the problem with Georgia uh, Georgia Tech. You know, they always have the game against Georgia at the end, and that's almost certainly a loss, I would think. Um, well, have... Georgia lost a lot this year. I mean, I know there's, yeah. they're still going to be favored pretty yeah, heavily, it's but it's not, like, it's not like they're playing 
you know, Georgia of last year, right? Where that was just like head and shoulders. They were a great team. Uh, yeah. Well, I, they, they they've got Clemson. You know, that's one of their cross divisional uh, opponents. So that's probably almost, well, they play them every year. Yeah. So that's not unusual. Oh, do they? They do. Okay. Um, yeah, I mean, some of their some of their coin flip type games. You know, at, at is they got to go to Virginia Tech. You know, that's tough. Um, they're at Pitt. You know, again. Okay. So won, I, won the last time I think in both of those venues that they went to. Yeah, no, I, 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 I my initial reaction to Boston College six was the same as yours over, but then you start breaking down their schedule and you say, well, it, it might be a it might be a chore to get there. Um, Friday, big day for recruiting, at least uh, in the in the minds of Hokie fans. Devin Ford, uh, what he lives, he's in Stafford. Uh, yes, uh, running, running back. back from North Stafford High School. He will announce his decision. What uh, What are the tea leaves saying? It's not looking good, Aaron. Uh, this is we'll dub this the Ford Ocalypse uh, twenty eighteen. Uh, Virginia Tech looked very good for a while for Devin Ford. Uh, Penn State ended up getting his final official visit, and now uh, Penn State is gaining lots of momentum. I mean, I look at this crystal ball thing on two four seven Sports. Uh, you know, not always perfect but you can kind of see the trend happening on there and when these writers on there make their predictions it's the crystal ball so they give a percentage of of you know who where they think everybody's going they're usually pretty spot on they're good at at seeing sort of where which way the wind is blowing and then they can switch their pick at the last second Uh, all the recent picks have been penn state Uh, right now it's penn state 75 percent virginia tech 21 percent you haven't seen a virginia tech selection on there in a while Mm -hmm. Uh, yeah, I think it's sort of trending that direction, and I think it's going to send the message boards into meltdown situation because a couple of weeks ago uh, it looked very good with Devin Ford, and this has sort of been the position that uh, Virginia Tech fans have been clamoring for for a while where they need this sort of playmaker, uh, difference-type maker, and, and Ford could have been that. Uh, now it's not looking so good. What changed? I think Penn State changed. I mean, you take a visit to Penn State. Ohio State was initially in there as well. Uh, I think they took a commitment from somebody that maybe he wasn't expecting them to, and and he sort of dropped them from his list. But uh, Penn State is an attractive school for a running back. And I don't want to put words in his mouth. I haven't talked to him or anything like that. But, uh, you know, taking a step back and not being like, ah, Virginia Tech's a great place, everybody should go there, blah, 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 which a lot of Virginia Tech fans want to say. I think you're just comparing Penn State and Virginia Tech, and if you're a star running back, which one would you want to choose? And and maybe, you know, 15, how many, whatever year Kevin Jones was, you know, 17 years ago, whenever he committed 18 years ago, uh, that maybe wasn't the conversation. You know, Virginia Tech was a, a really good running back school. It, it had uh, a reputation as producing running backs. Uh, but Penn State's back on the recruiting trail under James Franklin. It, it dipped late Paterno era, obviously far worse than that with the whole Sandusky thing, everything there. But Penn State is back to the point that's been before. It's finished, I think, in the top 10 the last couple years. It just put a running back number two in the draft in Saquon Barkley, who was a Heisman candidate. Uh, if you're a running back and you're looking at that, and even though there's guys in the depth chart, no, nobody ever thinks, oh, I can't beat those guys out. So that, that's never the mentality of these star running backs. Uh, I, I can see why he would want to go there instead of a place like Virginia Tech, which, you know, it has had a, a good tradition of running backs, but it's been a while. I mean, David Wilson was the last 
really good guy that Virginia Tech has had as a running back, and that was 2011. I mean, that's ages ago for these recruits. They were in right. middle school or, or grade school at that point. Um, you know, you look at the way that Virginia Tech deploys its backs now, and I'm not saying this would always be the way, but it's always kind of a shared thing, and nobody gets a huge amount of carries, and nobody's put up huge yards. You know, that's sort of Justin Fuente's philosophy is to get a lot of people involved, but I think sometimes these running backs can be very... I don't want to say selfish, but they're looking out for themselves in some situations. They want to be the man that carries the ball. They've always been that in their career. Uh, so I think some of that plays into it. That, uh, and I know people are going to melt down over this decision because there's another top-flight Virginia guy going out of state. But when you kind of look at all the factors that go into it, I go, yeah, that makes sense. Well, that analysis seems good, and I, you know, but I totally disagree with it because I know what these recruits make their decisions based on, and it's how many Twitter mentions – they get from each school. Oh, I thought you were going to say the uniforms. <laughs> no, well, that might actually be a factor. The no, the Twitter mentions when they announce when they're going to uh, announce their, you know, they, they go on Twitter and say, uh, "I'm Friday. I'm going to be in an auditorium picking my school," and the replies flood in, complete with emojis of each school. You know, the little gator emoji or the little, uh, I guess, the lion emoji in this case. Uh, uh, turkey, yeah, you know, chicken. <laughs> Join that, Hokey that, Nation. That that pretty much seals the deal for you. You count all those up, see how many said this is home. Say how many. See how many said we are Penn State. Make your decision. It's I'll a very. That. It's it's very. It's not subjective. It's it's a total. It's it's whoever right. has more. Right. It's it's binding. It's binding. <laughs> um, so of course we are being sarcastic. <laughs> Never tweet at recruits. <laughs> Just don't do. It. I mean, I guess it's okay if you like. You know, good luck with whatever your decision is. I know you'll make a great decision, but just don't be that guy. No, I, actually, I think that's those are the worst ones. The wishy-washy ones, like whatever you do, I'll support you. Well, just, I think the ones that <laughs> I think the ones that after the person has picked, yeah, where, where people are like, Gracious, well, good luck, yeah. and you, you know, we'll be rooting for. Well, maybe not rooting for you, but good luck in your decision. The people that can just like take it in stride. Yeah. The ones that are just call them out. It's like, what was that picture in the new uniform? Like, why did you do that then? It's just like, Oh, don't, don't do this. <laughs> just everybody that's around you collectively on the internet. is just like shaking their heads and they have their, their head and their, their palm of their hands going, Oh, come on guys. Don't, don't do this. But this is like, I feel like Virginia tech has sort of this same, it's like a holding pattern in recruiting every year where they get a couple guys early in the class. People are going, all right, things are starting looking good in this class. They'll have a big-time target that maybe they were in on early, look very good, that ends up going somewhere else because in the the totem pole of college recruiting, Virginia Tech is not in that elite tier. I mean, I know Hokies fans don't want to hear it, but when Penn State and Ohio State and Florida State and Clemson now come into Virginia – they carry a lot more weight than Virginia Tech does, and, and recruits see that and they listen to it. Uh, so they miss out on that. It's an apocalypse. Slowly but surely, Virginia Tech puts together a pretty solid class, maybe gets somebody somewhat big late in the process, and then ends up ranked in the 20s somewhere. Yeah. That's that's the cycle. Rinse, repeat, do it again and again and again. Uh, it's tough to change your lot in recruiting life. And I, I don't think people realize that it. it's like, oh, you just need to get all the five, the blue chip guys. It's like, well, there's like 10 schools that get all the blue chip guys and always right. have. And, you know, cracking that code and getting into that exclusive club, it doesn't happen overnight. So 
you know, if Devin Ford does in fact pick Penn State, like it, it looks like all the signs are indicating, uh, it's just kind of another part of that process. And, you know, it's not like the Hokies are going to pack up their program. They'll find other guys and they have to find ways to produce with those guys so that the next time a top flight guy comes along and, and they possibly could be in the mix, that, that maybe they have a better chance of landing them. So I'm assuming you'll be driving up to Stafford with a hokey windsock flying. Yes, yeah. And, and carrying a pennant that's Time to get out the turkey feet. Put it on the side of the car. <laughs> no, I, I – uh, it's interesting. You look at this uh, cycle in recruiting. Uh, Brandon Smith, number one guy in the state. This is uh, 247 Sports composite rankings I'm going by here. Uh, linebacker from Louisa County. Penn State's very heavily involved with him. Uh, Devin Ford, number two, Penn State's involved with him. Uh, Cameron Kelly, an athlete from Oscar Smith, is number four in this. Sheridan Jones is a guy who's committed to Clemson, number three. Uh, Cameron Kelly is heavily involved with Penn State. There's a chance that Penn State could get three of the top four guys in Virginia. Well, that, we had a question on right, that exactly, a couple weeks ago. Exactly, yeah. and before it was you know Florida State uh, for a while there. Alabama had done it for a while coming in. Uh, Ohio State has picked its its players from Virginia. Uh, it's tough to close off those borders. Now people say that, oh, you, to, to be successful again, you have to close off the borders and recruit uh, the state's guys. It's tough to do. And I think if you look historically at Virginia Tech, I don't know if it was ever really the case that just nobody came in and, and poached the Virginia talent, and at least not certainly sort of in the rivals era once it became known how, how much talent was in Virginia and schools came in here pretty regularly. Well, you and Vic were talking about uh, Ronald Curry. You know, yeah, He was like exactly. the number one player in the nation, wasn't he, when he came out? And he, he was, and, and Michael Vick was still a, a very well-regarded recruit, but he wasn't Ronald Curry right. uh, at that point in terms of, of reputation on the recruiting scene. So, uh, you know, I, I get the feeling that people are going to lose their mind over this. And they're going to point to the in-state recruiting and say it's not great. And, uh, you know, I'll counter that there were some really good years that Virginia Tech had, especially when it kind of got going there around the turn of the century. Uh, but I, I still don't feel like Virginia Tech has ever just sort of walled off the state. and Nobody's coming in and getting these prospects. I think there's always been poachers. There always will be. And that's just sort of a reality you have to deal with as a Hokies fan. Have you ever covered one of those decision day hat hat deals or I'm trying to think if I've been to I don't think I've been I've to never one in person. And I, I can't say that I'm disappointed that I've no, never covered it's one. not something that I'd want to cover. Uh I mean the, you know, Fuente mentioned it I think it was at la- on signing day is like, you know, we already know the result. <laughs> like, you know, we ask these questions and like this uh, uh, signing day decisions like, oh, what was the, the feelings like? Well, we, we knew that for a while that we weren't going to get them it, before the ceremonies and the hats and the fanfare. We, you know, they already call us and tell us that stuff. Well, so. I remember a few years ago when Ralph Friesen was still the coach at Maryland. I think he showed up at one of these kids things because he thought the guy was going to commit and the guy committed somewhere else. I don't think you can do that. I, I, I think, think that's that a pretty, or maybe it's a pretty strong Ralph's violation. Wife, to show maybe up. I don't know what I don't know what, what I I'll have to Google that when we when we finish here and find that story. But and if I do, I'll tweet it out. But uh, okay, well we'll we'll find out what happens on Friday and and uh, and you'll I'm sure be be watching all the reaction very close. I'm sure people on Twitter will take it very sensibly. All right, well some some topics that are a little more happy, I guess, and for for Hokie fans, uh, the Brandon Flowers story. That you wrote this past week, I think was a really good one. Uh, tell, give us a snapshot of, of that story. Uh, Brandon Flowers, cornerback in the NFL, left early 
from Virginia Tech in two after the 2007 season. He was drafted in 2008. He was a two-time All-American when he left Virginia Tech. I don't think anybody could really begrudge him uh, for leaving for the NFL early, but he had a 10-year NFL career with the Chiefs and Chargers. Uh, retired last year. Came back in January. Uh, finished. He had a semester left that he had to do. Basically, it's a sociology seminar that he was at and got his degree. Uh, so here he is. I think he's 32, 33, somewhere in that range. Uh, Virginia Tech graduate, 10 years after he left for the NFL, uh, after a career in which his earnings were $50 million. And I know there's agent fees and taxes right. and all that stuff. It's not $50 million. But that that's what, you know, uh, the contracts that he signed over the course of that was probably around $50 million. And he still felt it was valuable enough to come back and get his Virginia Tech degree, which is kind of cool when you think about it. Definitely. And it wasn't something like he promised his mom or anything like that? No, that was the first thing I asked because you always hear the story. It's like, well, I'm going pro, but I promised my mom that I would get this. And he said, it wasn't like that. I mean, he knew that his parents valued education. Uh, He he said one of the the sort of driving forces in it is he he does a lot of mentoring of kids and does stuff. Uh, He lives in Delray Beach still. He built a house there. Uh, you know, he does these things, stay in school, stuff like that. He's like, I feel like it'd be kind of hypocritical if I then didn't have the opportunity to go back and get my degree and chose not to do it. So he wanted to do that. He's going to get his MBA at University of Miami. Uh, you know, he's been very smart with his money. He didn't build, he didn't buy a house until just a couple years ago. Yeah. One that he built uh, from the ground up in Delray Beach. Uh, you know, he's spoken at the the NFL Rookie Symposium about uh, being smart with your money. He, you know, he's been one that hasn't, uh, you know, he's not, doesn't have a huge entourage. He's not uh, buying all sorts of cars and flashy necklaces and stuff like that. He's not going over the top with his purchases. He said he wants to be an entrepreneur here. Uh, he wants to add to the money that he has. He doesn't want to be one of those, you know, cautionary tales, essentially, as, as a former athlete that goes broke. So seems like somebody who has his head on pretty straight and uh, kind of a cool moment for Virginia Tech that a guy like that would come back to the program and, and decide to graduate. And then you have another guy who's entering another chapter of his life in D'Angelo Hall. 14 seasons in the NFL. He's is he totally retired or he left the door open a little bit? Well, it's weird. You know, he told some reporters, I think it was like a golf outing or something like that, uh, the other day that he was not, that he was going to retire. And then there's, there's like official paperwork that you have to file with the NFL to say that you're retired. And he hasn't done that. And then he tweeted the other day. He's like, you know, thanks for all the well wishes. Uh, I'm not retired yet. But he says, I think I am done. I think I have played my last football game. He says, I don't want to commit to retirement until I know what the next step is. So I think that's a case of it's tough for some of these guys to admit that they're retired. I mean, how wishy-washy was Brett Favre over the years about, oh, I'm retired. Am I going to come back? Uh, There's a very – there's a finality to saying that you're retired. And even somebody – you know, Michael Vick – uh, didn't retire until after a year where nobody signed him. Right. And Shane Graham didn't retire until a year after nobody signed him. It was a 2016 season for both of them, where neither of them latched onto teams. Uh, in Vic's case, where there were opportunities, there were opportunities for him to, uh, or it seemed like there were opportunities where teams would need a quarterback, uh, and he still didn't get a call. You know, Shane Graham, teams need kickers all the time, didn't get a call that year. So, 
I think sometimes these you know com- really competitive guys have been in the league for a long time need the league to retire them rather than vice versa. They need to be told that they're they can't play anymore uh, before they can say it themselves. Uh, that all that said, it sounds like D'Angelo Hall has plenty of opportunities. I mean, he's good on TV. He's a really smart. Uh, well-spoken analyst. I think he's done some TV stuff before. He looks very comfortable uh, in that situation. You know, I think he said that he wouldn't mind coaching uh, immediately. I know that all Virginia Tech fans go, oh, he could be the, the safeties coach at Virginia Tech or something like that. It's like, well, he had career earnings of $77 million. I don't think he's going to want to slum it uh, as a college assistant coach trying to work up his ranks you know, on the road recruiting all the time. I think that's what people don't realize. That is a tedious, you know, really grueling lifestyle uh, to go from a professional athlete like that to then coming and, and being on the recruiting trail all the time. You don't see a lot of guys that made it in the league a lot like that come down to a position like that. But, you know, Michael Vick's doing something with coaching and that new league is being formed as like an offensive coordinator. That's not sort of the year-long grind that being an assistant coach is. I could see him doing something like that. He said maybe a front office executive in some capacity. I think he could be pretty good at that. He has options out there, but it, it does not sound like playing's going to be in his future. Where would you rank him on the all-time successes in an NFL for a Virginia Tech alum. He's up there. Uh, I mean, number one's Bruce Smith, Yeah, obviously. Uh, I was looking at the, the uh, pro football reference has this, uh, what is the the stat? The career. Career approximate value stat. Sort of like war. Yeah, I, I'm not sure how you know, scientifically <laughs> tested this is, but it's something that's like that. He is sixth in the NFL all-time of former Hokies, behind Bruce Smith, Michael Vick, Carol Dale, uh, Brown, um, Dwayne Brown. I saw Brown. I'm like, what? Dwayne Brown yeah. and Antonio Freeman. And I, I think uh, D'Angelo Hall is slightly ahead of Cam Chancellor. Chancellor didn't play as long. If he continues to play, I think Cam Chancellor could pass him. That seems about right. Yeah. I mean, he made three Pro Bowls. I think even D'Angelo Hall said that you know he's he doesn't consider himself a Hall of Famer kind of fought injuries in the latter half of his career, never really could get those sort of counting stats up there. But this is a guy that had 43 career interceptions. He had 10 uh, career touchdowns on fumble returns and interceptions, which is tied for 18th all-time in the NFL. I mean, this is a really, really good career uh, for a guy that, you know, early in his career, I don't know if anybody thought he would get this far. I mean, he was, he was Miangelo Hall. That was the nickname that he had. I don't right. know if that had started when he was at Virginia Tech. Kind of wore out his welcome in Atlanta, kind of had a tumultuous half season in Oakland. And I think people were wondering, hey, is this guy going to get his act together? And then he puts together this you know, 10-year stretch almost, I think, with the Redskins where he's sort of the elder statesman by the end of it. And he's this you know, kind, of, kind of smart. You know, I, I, won't, I won't say that he lost that edge that he had early on, but maybe a little more reserved than he was earlier in his career. You certainly saw that guy sort of mature over his career and be somebody that a franchise could really count on. Yeah, became a leader. And, you know, 14 years is a long time in the NFL. To put that in perspective. For a cornerback, too. I mean, that is tough. To put that in perspective, I mean, his final year at Virginia Tech, the Hokies were still in the Big East. (laughs) You know, that was the last year of the Big East, 2003. But, I mean, you think back to his Hokies moments. The, the whole uh, give it to me Roscoe fumble return where I was actually at that game. I was covering it when I was in Danville. So I remember going to that one where I mean, it was, it was loud in that stadium when he pickpocketed uh, Roscoe Parrish, I believe it was the Roscoe in question there and returned it and sort of jump-started that whole win against Miami in that game. Uh, yeah. I mean, he was, he was a phenomenal college player, 
a, a really excellent pro player. I mean, you talk whenever Bud Foster talks about athletes at Virginia Tech. I mean, D'Angelo Hall is always at the top of his list or near. You know, it's yeah. way up there. I mean, he's, he, you hear Bud say dynamic all the time with athletes. He'll say it with emphasis when it comes yeah. to D'Angelo Hall. Uh, that's how good he was when he was with the Hokies. Yeah, and I remember he was a great interview too. I mean, like you were saying earlier about his analytical abilities, he was he was like that back then too. And he he wasn't afraid to speak his mind. And I think they rubbed the coaches the wrong way a couple times, but uh, we loved it as reporters. Yeah, is, is, was he a contributing factor to us having to speak to everybody at a podium these perhaps, days? Perhaps, perhaps. What is the worst prediction you've ever made? Because I'm starting to think my Yankees will not make the playoffs is going to be the worst prediction I've ever made. Here's a really bad one I made. I don't know if it was a prediction as much as, you know, I, when I was at Auburn, we sort of wrote pseudo columns and stuff. And Russell Wilson was looking for a transfer destination. Uh, this is right after Cam Newton played at, at Auburn and went to the pros. And I'm like, you don't want to ruin the chemistry on this team. You don't want to bring in a gunslinger one year like like this, a hired hand. Uh, what's that going to do the chemistry on the team? And <laughs> Auburn had, uh, you know, Barrett Trotter and a couple other guys that just were not very good. I mean, they were they were average at best. And then Russell Wilson goes on to be this superstar with Wisconsin. And you were goes just on trying to, to steer draft. him to Wisconsin. I, I was not actually, <laughs> but yeah, I wrote that. And in hindsight, it was one of the stupidest things I've ever written. I'll count that as a prediction. Uh, but yeah, that was incredibly stupid and uh, embarrassing in hindsight. Well, since we're talking about gambling so much on this podcast, I remember. I remember Nappy, Randy King famously wrote before one of those Syracuse games that, and I remember he wrote an entire Tech Insider about it, and it was like, you know, you could just see from the way Frank's talking this week, he knows the hay is in the barn, and and the Hokies were, I think, were like twenty five point favorites or something, and he said it would be like fifty six to nothing. You know, he said they'll cover this with ease, and they lost, they lost outright. <laughs> so, so predictions can go wrong. Uh, Certainly this Yankee one I made is not looking very good. We like to end on a prediction, so I'm going to ask you this. Oh, I thought you were going to say, is gambling, legalized gambling going to be the downfall of our society? <laughs> is that going to be the prediction? <laughs> That's not going to be my prediction. Um, hey, Preakness this week. Oh, God, I have no opinion. A horse is going to win. I don't even know the horse is in it. I don't even know the horse that won. The, was it Justify? Justify. Okay, there you I go. I said on the podcast, that's a name that could win. <laughs> <laughs> he was favored, though, so we were looking at other options. We yeah, wanted- <laughs> I have no opinion. I'm not going to watch it. I'm not going to pay attention to it as an archived race that I can bet on <laughs> in the future. Say, what if we shrouded the jockey and yeah, trainer for you? I will have absolutely no extra interest in that. I will be doing something else whenever this is this, this weekend when they're running this. Yeah, Saturday. Yeah, I, I don't care. Well, my brother texted me. He, he, he prefers the trotters to – uh, thoroughbreds, but he watched the race last week. And he's a horse guy. He knows horses, and he says that was one of the most impressive uh, races he'd ever seen a horse race in terms of, you know, he, he set a blistering pace and, and and he just kept digging. I mean, he never he never tired. And so I'm going to predict that Justify gets leg number two, and we have an exciting Belmont. I'll go along with that because I have no opinion. I'm more of a dressage really guy. I'm more of a dressage guy when it comes to horses. Not than afraid. Horse race. That's right. I am not afraid. All right. Well, we're not afraid to get back together as soon as possible. Maybe next week because we'll have some wit things to talk about, hopefully. Yeah. Hopefully yeah, he'll fill so. it up for you and we can get back and discuss all of that. Uh, regardless, uh, that'll do it for this week. For Andy Bitter, this is Aaron McFarling. We will see you next time.